Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year to you. Do you like the snow? Like, (laughs) it's really a lot of snow up where we are in Lake Country there. And you know, when you're young, you're stupid, right? And um, and especially. When you're a guy and you have a four-wheel drive that is lifted, you've got big mud tires on there, and you think you're invincible. So I watched this guy. (laughs) He flew past me like I was standing still on the highway heading north, and uh, I literally watched him weave. Like, I mean, it's icy, there is snow everywhere. Um, when you get to that intersection by the airport, if you try and stop, you will not stop. You will slide to a, you know, a halt. And I watched him kind of lose it in there, you know, and the truck's kind of all over the road, but, but, but he's invincible, so he keeps going. And, 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 and you can see, because the snow is fresh, the tracks, right? And the tracks, they just go like that, look like that, like that, and then they, <laughs> then they disappear. <laughs> <laughs> He drove it right off of the highway into a vineyard. And I'm thinking, wow, that's incredible. You, you know what? Ignorance can be educated. Crazy can be medicated. But there's no cure for that kind of stupid, okay? You know what? I, le- I learned that in my, in my life. And yet I was that guy, you know, 25 years ago. <laughs> I found a verse that... I want to talk to you about. It's in Matthew chapter 11. And I'm reading it out of the message. I just love the way it reads. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Jewish people who are exhausted. They just are tired of all the rules. They're tired of all the politics in church. They're tired of it all. And Jesus, um, he says this to them. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest, a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love this phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. In 2014, one of my favorite communicators did a talk called Rhythms of Grace. And here we are um, almost, you know, like four years later. And I, I can't get that phrase out of my head for the last two weeks. Just, just the freedom, and I love that. He says, um, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you to live freely and lightly. And I, I go, who wouldn't sign up for that? I'd sign up for that. Learning to live the unforced forced rhythms of grace. So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. See, every, every one of us was designed to live in rhythm. We all need rhythm. We all need pace. We all need a routine that fits our lives. Everything about you, from the very core of your, of your, 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 your physiologically, you have a heart that goes, kidaboom, kidaboom, 
Get a boom, boom, boom. Get a boom. Mine's a little cooler. Um, but it's because they haven't put the pacemaker in just yet. Uh, it's got kind of an offbeat to it. But you, you, you have a rhythm at the very center of who you are. Your heart beats in rhythm. God gave you a rhythm, a groove, a way that you do life that's different than everybody else's. You, you, your rhythm might be, uh, you know, a little faster or a little slower. Every one of us has to find our own balance between being around people and being alone. Your rhythm looks different than mine. Um, and, and it takes a little while to find your own rhythm but you do have a rhythm that God created you for. To be healthy, you need a healthy rhythm. We talk so much about work-life balance. That's really a rhythm that you have to figure out in order to find yourself with a healthy soul. The world around us, everything that God created is around us, is, is built with rhythm. Everything. Just, just think about it. Like you know, I was thinking about the creation account. Even you know, we have seven movements in creation. Seven days, the Bible says He created each day, and on the seventh He rested. And each one of those days, each one of those movements could have been thousands and thousands of years. I was thinking about the creation account. I was thinking about how, you know, God, could you imagine the music? If you could turn all of the creation account and, and add music to it. Think about it. He creates the heavens and the earth. Now the galaxies, the, 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 the solar system being created. And it's like this big bass laying down a track, a big bass track. And it's just, it's like Star Wars track, you know. And then, and then all of a sudden, then the Bible says that God creates light and I can hear a trumpet coming in bright and clean. It's a symphony and, and the instruments are all waiting and all creation's waiting to add to this symphony, to this song. And then, and then the, the, the air comes and the sky comes and the water comes and then they separate. The crescendo. It's spectacular. And then all of a sudden, you start hearing this little pop, 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 vegetation. God's creating plant life. He's creating trees. He's creating, he's creating vegetables. He's creating all plant life on the earth. And, and it's adding to the music. And then we find out that God, he takes the ocean and he begins to create life in the ocean. And there's fish life and and. and, and and then, and then, and then, 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 then he starts creating animals and, 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 and the music's building and it's building and it finds its high point when he says, Let me, let's make man in our Im image. And by now it is incredible. It is incredible. You see, we, we, we aren't a standalone. We are part of an incredible creation account. And he created Adam and he created Eve. And I love this. And the Bible says that even after he'd created man, and, and all heaven is rejoicing, all heaven is part of this, 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 this symphony. The Bible says God just is cool. He comes and he just checks in on them every evening. 
Just checking in on them. They walked in the cool of the evening. So Adam and Eve, they have all the independence they need. They have their autonomy. But the creator comes in, just wants to know, how's it going? How you doing? I'll bet you, I don't even know what they talked about, but I would have a lot of questions. When you just got to the planet and there's all these cool things, and some of them breathe and have teeth, and, and some of them you just eat. What, what, they talk about a lot. 2016, 2017, my, my son and his wife separated. Figure some stuff out. So every second week, my grandkids lived. My son moved in with us, and my grandkids lived with us. And we went from the peaceful bliss of empty, empty nester, nests with a house that has paint and clean floors and dishes that are in the cupboard to, to a, a very chaotic little place. And, um, and I'm telling you what, it was, it was a journey for sure, right? Thank you, Lord. They, they reconciled. They got my house back. And, um, <laughs> and, 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 uh, but we, 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 they brought some of their traditions to our house. And so I remember, you know what, we'd all kind of get, by the time the kids were picked up and everything, everybody's walking in around 5.30 at the house, at our place. And then there is this bags and clothes and shoes and toques and lunch bags and sorting it all, hanging it all. And then my oldest, my son, Mike, would be bathing the kids and we're making supper. And finally, we all merge on the, on, on the dinner table. Really, the first chance you have to stop in a busy day. And the kids would play this game, which became our dialogue around dinner. My four-year-old grandson would wait, wait till nobody's asked. And he would say, all right, he would say, Papa, what was your favorite part today? And then I would think of my favorite part today. And then I had to ask somebody else. And then I would ask, Aya, what was your favorite? I'm not ready. Okay, um, Nana, what was your favorite part today? And we'd go around and around. If we had an exceptional day, we got to go twice. Got to go twice. And I wonder if that, the spirit of that is exactly what went on when God is checking in on Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, every night. It's consistent. Eve, honey, what was your favorite part today? Adam, what did you like best about this day? This was a new one, right? What did you like best? Adam was, I like that Eve's naked. Um, Whatever they talked about with God, I can promise you this. They walked with him. They worked with him. And they learned the unforced rhythms of grace. And that is what Jesus is inviting us back into here in Matthew chapter 11. When Adam and Eve sinned, that rhythm, that beautiful rhythm was disrupted. The rhythm that they had with the Father was disrupted. The rhythm that they had with life was disrupted. They went from thriving in the opulence of Eden to toiling the ground with pain. 
They went from enjoying the presence of the creator to hiding from him. They went from running around freely in their nakedness without shame to sewing leaves together for underwear. Well, let me just stop there for a second. You ever think about that? What kind of leaves did they use? Banana leaves? Like, you know how hard it'd be to walk around with these big, that'd be, that'd be more like a skirt, right? And then what did they use for thread? They didn't invent thread yet, but they sewed them together with something, right? And then, how do you wash your leaf underwear? It would definitely have to go the delicate rinse. And the biggest question that I have is what happens in the fall when all the leaves fall, they die and they fall, what do you do with your underwear? You, 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 it's just so confusing. So much to worry about. And this is just underwear. Everything changed. God's intended rhythm, his pace, his plans, his purposes, they'd all been impeded. We lost our rhythm in the garden and we've been trying to get it back ever since. We've been trying to recover that internal peaceful pace that, 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 that we once had with the Father. It's, a, it's an interesting technology has given us the ability to live at a pace that is unprecedented in all human history. No generation ever before us could do so much, could accomplish so much, could move so fast. All the while our souls are restless, our souls are unfocused, our souls are broken. I read an article from uh, Greg Kutsona, he did some research and he published it on HuffPost. And he said this, he said, science and mental health research has concluded that those of us who live our lives, live our days focused on our phones, our texts, our emails, and our tweets, we live in an artificial state of continual crisis. If you spend most of your day walking around with this thing, checking it, checking it. I feel bad because I was checking it while we're doing worship. <laughs> checking it, checking it, checking. If you spend your days actually focused on what, what is coming down the line through this thing, he says that you will live your days in this artificial sense of crisis. It used to be that we had a desk and we would work at the desk and that desk had a rotary phone and all the calls that would come to the desk would come to that phone. But then you put that phone down and you, you closed the drawer, you closed the office and you walked, even though you have work in your head. But you could leave it, you could walk away from it. Today, we just put our desk in our pocket and it goes with us everywhere we go. It's relentless. It never leaves us alone. And instead of being at rest, we live in this fight or flight response. You, you don't know, should I take the text? Should I not take the text? Should I answer it? Should I not answer it? You know, should I like it? Should I not like it? We, we, we're constantly in this decision-making, this flight or fight response. And because of this, he says this, we are in a perpetual state of partial attention. 
When was the last time you went for dinner or for lunch or to work or to school and you left it in the car? How many, go oh, just a second, I have to take this real quick. How many times do you, do, does this, you are never ever fully there. You're always in a state of partial, in, or partial inattention. And he goes on to say that because of this partial inattention, it actually reduces our creativity. Have you ever had writer's block? For those of you who are artists, have you ever, have you ever stood at the canvas and stood at the canvas, stood at the canvas and nothing new is coming? And you know what you have to do is you, you need asylum. You need to get away from the writing and you need to get away from the canvas. And you go and you do something and you fold sheets or you, or you go to the gym or you do some yoga or you do something and you got to get away from it to get fresh creativity for it, fresh eyes for it. But when you never get away from it, it begins to deplete every part of your life. Your relationships, your joy, your energy, all of it. So we need to find a way to turn the noise off every now and then. And it's not going to happen naturally. You have to, it's going to take intention. It's going to take consistency. You need to find a way to breathe or find a way, a place of asylum for your weeks. Somewhere in your weeks, you need to go and go, okay, I'm going to get away from it intentionally. And this is my place of asylum. This is where I'm going to rest my soul, refurbish my soul, restore my soul. We need to find the unforced rhythms of God's grace for our lives. In his farewell letter to a friend named Gaius, John wrote this. He said, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Just as your soul prospers. How are you at the level of your soul? Because where your soul is not healthy, everything else follows. I came across the statistic. It's an American statistic. I, I, I found some parallels to our Canadian economy. Weren't quite as strong. But did you know that 80% of our national health care costs are, can, can be reduced or associated to two main things? Two things. 80% of those costs can be reduced to this. Over uh, obesity and depression slash anxiety. Depression, the numbers are staggering. If you look at the Canadian, see that one for depression, it costs, us, it costs our economy $50 billion. When you consider the size of the United States, its population compared to ours, it tells us we're more depressed than they are. Both of these conditions are rooted in emotional health. Did you know that in the 14th century, the bubonic plague wiped, moved across Europe. Six in every 10 people died in all of Europe. 50 million people died and they didn't know how to stop it. But now we, we have a cure for the bubonic plague. But we don't have a cure for a 
sickness of the soul. We don't have a cure. Science doesn't know what to do with the sick soul. And a sick soul is, 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 is a plague that is destroying our people. It's destroying our health. It's costing us millions and billions of dollars. Can you see? No, no amount of likes is going to heal your soul. It'll scratch your itch. But it's not going to heal your soul. Can you see how the relationship between your mental health and your spiritual health and your emotional health... It's absolutely connected to your physical health because your physical health is an extension of your spiritual self. Your body is an extension of your soul, what's going on inside of you. Everything about being human is centered in your soul and moves out from there. So if your soul is healthy, your body will, it will, it will relieve, reveal itself in your, in, in your body. By the way, your body is not the devil. Your body is not the, the opposite of your spirit. God, fingerprints, those were his idea. Glutes, he likes them. You know what? Abs and biceps and triceps and every other step. God, God made these bodies and he likes your body. In fact, you know what he called it? He called it a temple. Your body is sacred. You know, you go, go, go to the most sacred cathedrals and temples in the world. You know, I go in those things, you don't swear. You know, you, you, you don't make arm noises or break wind. Because they're sacred. They're sacred. But did you know that not one of those buildings is even remotely as sacred as the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given you in your body? And yet you're the worst enemy to your body. You treat your car better than you treat your body. At least you change the oil on a regular basis. What are you doing to this body? It's part of the rhythm, the unbroken rhythm of grace that he, unforced rhythm of grace. Part of that is looking after this body. Because it is the house of your soul. Mars and I, you can't see it because of the shirt I'm wearing, but I'm, I could be girthy. <laughs> yeah, it's my dad's fault. I'm not going to take responsibility for it because then I'd have to do something about it. You know, and uh, about five years ago, I was girthier than I am now, but, and, um, and I have a friend, and he's young, 10 years younger than I am, and he's not really girthy, he's just fat, okay? And, 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 and so he found this trainer and he stuck with this trainer for, actually he stuck with the trainer for about a year and he lost like 40 pounds, right? And so he started looking, my friends started looking better than me and we just can't have that. And so, and so uh, uh, I, I, I signed up, my wife and I signed up with the trainer. His name's Kevin Weiss. And he's won all kinds of, bodybuilding and powerlifting competitions in Canada. And before we go to the gym, Kevin says, I want you to write down everything for three weeks, everything you eat for three weeks. Don't lie. And so I write down everything I eat for three weeks. I'm thinking, okay. 
And we get there and he takes a few minutes while getting changed and stuff like that. And, and, and he looks at my wife's list and, and then he looks at mine and goes, whoa. <laughs> and he goes, you're kidding, right? I'm going, you said be honest. And so I'm honest. He goes, this can't be true. I said, are you going to train me or are we going to complain about what I eat? You know, like, like, let's get this. And he said, I can just tell you this right now. You're not going to do so well today. And I said, well, how do you know that? He said, it's the quality of your fuel. It's terrible. Apparently, Mohawk hot dogs aren't that good for you. <laughs> I, who knew? You know, because you get to put as much cheese on them as you want. But apparently, that's not good enough. And so we started with our trainer. And he half killed me. I had to exert my, my, my do exertions. That, 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 that were really hard in order for my heart, to, you know what, to lose some weight, to, to get healthy. And after about four months, I couldn't afford him anymore. And so we just took the, the, the exercises that he gave us and we, we kept going on our own. And this is what I've learned is that it's difficult and you, to, to, to have a healthy body. You need intentionality and consistent work and there is no shortcut. You see, you, you, you could go to the gym today because you, you, you just want to. And you could go to the gym today and give her for, for 60 minutes. Just give her a lip, elliptical, the fat right off of your body. Get on that thing. Pull on that thing. Run. Go do weights. Kill yourself for an hour. And then you go home and you look in the mirror and guess what you will see? Nothing. And then you go back the next day and guess what you'll see? Nothing. Because in and of themselves, those little commitments to health don't do anything. But it's when you add them into a consistent part of your rhythm of life, when you're there four or five days a week at 20 minutes at a time, I promise you in a lifetime, you will become much, much healthier. Probably within a year, you will see a difference. You know what brushing your teeth in the morning does for two minutes? Nothing. But do that for a lifetime. And you get to keep your own teeth. Do you understand what I'm saying? And the reason I'm coming at you with this is because some of you think being here on a Sunday morning is what you do to heal your soul and have a healthy soul. You're an idiot. Because being here on a Sunday morning is like brushing your teeth for one hour a week. Are you stupid? Right? And so if there is not ongoing investment, consistent investment in extending your soul and bringing health to your soul and, 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 and posturing your soul for Jesus to work on it, for humbling yourself before the Lord, then you're not going to grow. If, if, if exercise is true for your body and the commitment you need to that, how much more true is that for the epicenter of your soul or the epicenter of your life? Jesus said, get away with me and you'll recover your life. By the way, it's not easy to get away with Jesus. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment. 
Because in order to get away with Jesus, you have to say no to all the voices. All the voices, all the things you have on that list to do, all the emails you have to return, all those people that are going to be disappointed with you because you just didn't get there. And the more demanding your life is, the more you cannot afford to take care of your soul. Some of you, you are, you have to be on all day, every day. Well, let me tell you something, more than anybody, you need to look after your soul. Jesus says, come to me, I'm the rhythm maker. I made you, I gave you your own rhythm. Get away with me. I'll show you your optimal pace. I'll show you your optimal peace. See, I didn't, God didn't create you for everything. He created you for one thing. And so he says, he says, watch me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch me. Walk with me. Work with me. I'm almost done here. Well-being or a healthy soul um, makes you a better human being. And well-being at the level of soul never ends with you. Health at the level of the soul always ends up with you loving people and leaving them better than you find them. A healthy soul has the ability to walk into a workplace and care more about the people that are hurting, that are in that workplace, more about caring for them, loving them, than bringing your agenda to the table so that you can make sure you are heard. A prosperous soul emanates. You leak and it emanates life. A prosperous soul leaves the world better than it finds it. A prosperous soul cares about your neighbors. A prosperous soul, there's so much, a full soul needs to reach out to a world in need. Absolutely. You know how you know your soul is weak and impoverished? When it's always about you about getting your needs met, your feelings hurt. If you're always getting your feelings hurt, if you're always wondering why nobody loves you, oh my Lord, then your soul is sick. And Jesus says, come away with me. I'll give you two things. He came to restore us to what was lost in the garden. He came to give us rest for souls, our souls. First John 1.19 says this, if we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is one of the ways you wash your soul. We confess our, what do you think you need to confess your sins to God to make him aware of what a loser you are? To make him aware that I blew it again? To make him aware I'm addicted, I'm stuck, I can't get over this thing? He doesn't need you to make him aware of anything. He wants you to become aware of your utter need for him. Because you cannot heal your own soul. You cannot heal your own soul. And then he goes on to say in James 5, the scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The sincere prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. First, he says, take your sin up, confess it up. And then he says, find 
the, I'm going to, this, this is just implied, but I'm just going to say, find a safe human being, someone that loves you, someone that, that knows how to keep their mouth shut. And you confess your sins to one another. You know why? Because when you begin to confess your dark, deep, your, your addictions and your sin and your brokenness to a brother or a sister that you're journeying with, you know and you're accountable for the journey. And if you're still confessing the same sin two years out, then you know you're stuck and you both find a way to say, Father, we cannot stay stuck here anymore. You confess your sins to each other and that's a way of being accountable. And all of these things position our heart to keep company with Jesus and learn how to live freely and lightly. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. So Jesus, he came to restore the rhythm that was lost in Eden. And if this is your first time to church, I'm sorry for calling you stupid. Um, I meant the others. Uh -uh. <laughs> I didn't mean you. <laughs> um, let me show you how the rhythm begins. It's so simple. It begins by saying... Jesus, you became sin so that I could be one with the Father. It's opening your, 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 your faith and saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the one, the only one that can, 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 can heal my soul. And number two, we just talked about confessing to our sins to him confessing to him that we're scared and we don't really know. We've never been down this road, but Jesus, I still believe that you can do this and I'm hoping against hope that you're real. And number three, you say, Jesus, you know what? I, I, I'm inviting you into my rhythm and you can take, because my rhythm is not a rhythm right now. My rhythm's chaos and I'm inviting you to bring your, your beautiful, peaceful pace into my life. And by the way, you can be a very busy, productive, highly active person when your heart's at peace, when there's a divine pace. It's amazing how those two can live at the same time. You can be very much at peace here and very busy out here. And there's something pure about that. And so we're going to have communion. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take communion together. If you have never invited Jesus into your life and and you, 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 that's in your heart. You can feel his presence pulling on your heart. Then Chad's going to give us some instructions on communion. And I'm going to invite you to participate in communion as your way of saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Bring an unforced rhythm of grace. Teach me about that, Lord. I'm surrendering my heart to you. So I'm going to invite the um, people that are helping with the elements to pass them out, to, to come on up. And um, thank you, everybody, by the way, for coming and helping with this. I'm going to give Chad the, the mic. He's going to lead us in our, our time of communion.